Welcome back to the Health on 10 podcast with your host, Angie Stastny, and myself, Alex Krenitz. It's been a while. Yes, way too long. It's been a long time. How are you doing, Angie? Good. So you've been doing some great work lately, and I'm super excited to share this with people. Uh, I've done a couple, well, one of the tests myself. I'm going to do another test. We're going to talk today about the gut microbiome. Shocker. I feel like this is always <laughs> our subject of discussion, but super. Everything leads back to the gut. So interesting. Uh, so recently I did a, um, a gut test. It's basically, it's a, it's a, it's a fecal test, a stool test, which, you know, doing the test itself is, is not very pleasant, but it shows some really great results. And before we get into it, if somebody's interested in doing this, definitely contact Angie and don't do any of the tests that you can find online. Don't waste your money. Don't waste your money. And you can talk about that here in a minute, but some of those tests like Everly well, they just, they don't create like actual good results, correct? I think that the more high quality testing is always going to be in the hands of the practitioners and that's where it belongs because, you know, it would be kind of hard, you know, if you looked at the GI map that you did and I gave you the report and said, good luck, I think it would be hard for you to like put it all together. Oh, I'd be screwed. And, you know, I've had clients where I'll send them the results ahead of our meeting before we go over it and they're like trying to Google every single bacterial strain and like, what does this mean? And, um, so the GI map from diagnostic solutions is the one that I use. And like you said, it's kind of gross and (laughs) nobody wants to collect a stool sample, but (laughs) you only have to do it once and it's pretty easy. And then you just pop it in the mail and there's just a ton of information. So I'm just loving using it because I can get so much more specific and really see like what's going on with people. Um, so this is actually measuring PCR DNA. So PCR, we all know about it now because of COVID and the PCR testing for COVID. Um, but this is actually looking like at the gene level. So it's it's a lot deeper than what you might find in some of the more commercial um, pre- consumer-based tests. The $100 test you can buy online. Yeah. 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 So tell me, tell us about some things that you're finding so far. I mean, these are really comprehensive. You show me, you brought the papers down last time, and I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. Somebody <laughs> who loves nutrition, I've been studying it for 10 years. I don't know. I mean, I know a couple of these things. Other than that, it was like, what in the, what is going on here? So it, 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 one of the things it shows that I thought was cool, it shows the good bacteria yeah. and the bad bacteria. Right. What are some things that you're finding in uh, your patients so far? I think like, so it's been different. I love it because everyone's different and it's really interesting. But I think like a very important thing that everyone should have done is that it identifies H. pylori, which is a bacteria that lives in your stomach and it can break down the lining of your stomach and has been associated with um, stomach cancer, ulcers, um, GERD, and, you know, so any type of problems with where your stomach acid is not strong enough and you can't break your food down. So if you have upper abdominal bloating, that's potentially a sign that you could have 
an overgrowth on the H. pylori. Um, the H. pylori bacteria is not bad, but it's bad if it gets too high. Um, so there are, you know, mainstream, you know, like you can go to the doctor and they can do blood tests or they might do a stool test um, and they may treat it with an antibiotic. But you can use herbals and you can use like um, plant resins and things like that to help um, kill it off in a, like a less harmful way because we know when we use bacteria, I mean, I'm sorry, when we use antibiotics, it's going to kill off the good bacteria as well. So what if we look at your tests and we see that all your good commensal strains are already like wiped out and then you have H. pylori? You're not going to want to take more antibiotics. You're going to want to use, you know, a different strategy. So I think it helps, you know, kind of prioritize like what the way you want to address things. Can you can you pinpoint a, certain things that would increase H. pylori, like certain dietary things? Well, like? if you take like any of the antacids. Okay. Okay, because if you take an antiacid, that means that you're raising your stomach acid, right? Like it's supposed to be extremely acidic and the more alkaline your stomach gets, the more likely that the H. pylori is going to grow. It's going to grow in that more alkaline environment. So what about, what about things like uh, vinegar or different uh, vinegar based things, food? Is that going to help reduce H. pylori? So like I think apple cider vinegar, kimchi, these things. I mean, yes. we know these things are good for you, but is this have a direct correlation to reducing H. pylori in the gut? Hmm, that I don't know. Um, there's different herbs you can use, but it's really got to be very specific. Um, so yes, there are like oil of oregano and different things you can use, but a lot of times what you'll see like is you know blends of different things that have kind of been studied and put together. Yeah. Um, to help treat it. And um, so the important part about H. pylori, though, and why I kind of harp on it, is that if you, that's your protection. Your stomach acid is your protection from the outside world. So anything that's not supposed to pass through into your intestines, bacteria, viruses, all these things, should get killed in the stomach because that's a very acidic environment. It's also the place where we break down a lot of our foods into smaller particles so that they can, in the small intestines, be broke down further and absorbed. So you see a lot of nutritional deficiencies in people that have H. pylori um, because they're, not a, they're malabsorbing. Isn't it interesting that we're seeing such a, uh, an increase in... We're trying to reduce acidity, like even more alkaline water and things like that. Do you feel like that could have a, a negative effect? I think that like the alkaline, so here's the thing. Like that's kind of a whole different focus because <clears throat> like cortisol, cortisol is a stress hormone, right? Very powerful. Yeah. It's going to make your blood more acidic. Our the, we're always going to strive to have a certain pH in the blood, very tight range. Well, how are you going to neutralize your blood? Um, you need to do that with alkaline-type foods. 
right? And if you don't, then it's going to start breaking down your bones and releasing minerals from your bones into your blood to neutralize. So that's where you get people with a lot of stress and they end up with bone disease and they end up with arthritis and they degenerative type things. They don't really realize how stress plays into that. Um, so that's why like something like Tums works in the stomach to neutralize and it's temporary, right? That calcium yeah. is a really good neutral neutralizer. Um, so that's like kind of a simplistic, but you know, basically like fruits and vegetables are more alkaline, whereas meat is more acidic and things like that. So the, all these different foods have different effects. Yeah. One of the <clears throat> things I found super interesting on mine, which doesn't really surprise me. There was uh, what did you find here? I had pretty high levels of acute stress. Right. So my stress in, over the last six to eight months had been pretty high and it showed in my uh, zonulin zonulin. Yeah. Yeah. So zonulin is the protein that maintains how much our intestines will open up to release nutrients into the blood. And so if it if there's too much uh, what you might hear in some terms, leakiness right, like it's too open, then things start moving over into the bloodstream that we don't want mm -hmm. and vice versa. And our immune system is always going to play into that. So like on yours, um, if you look at the secretary IgA, that's yeah. like the main immunoglobulin that circulates in your GI tract. And we want that to be up towards 1500 and yours was about 1100. So not bad, but there is some stress there. That guy's job is to go around and pick up all the little foreign particles and kind of gobble them up yeah. so that you don't have an immune response. So he's kind of like your first line defense. And so um, that's just an example of something that you could find. And so when we look at yours and we see that the zonulin is elevated and so you've got breaches in the gut lining, Secret secretary IgA is down. That makes sense, right? Because you've got leakiness there, and then he's your your Marines are getting depleted more or less, right? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I don't I don't really I I can't pinpoint any sort of uh, you know symptoms. Like no, I have no problems with digestion. I feel really good. I haven't been sick since I had COVID over almost a year ago so w was there an explanation to that yeah at this point, because you when i look at you i just see that you've had a high stress level yeah and you've been trying to do um some pretty amazing things and um so anytime stress is involved that that does so much damage yeah so i mean and how can we reduce things like that so if you have a patient high stress levels high secretary iga um, but yeah, t t tell us about some of the things that you would do. I would say for me, what I would do, I don't really want to do this, but I think maybe lessening my exercise, mm -hmm. not exercising so much, uh, and so intense, trying to incorporate things like meditation. Me and you are very similar. We, we it's a hard time turning it off yeah. a lot. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's important. Did you find the same thing too with you? 
Uh, yes. Yes. Um, Same thing. I didn't. I wasn't reacting to gluten, but I don't eat gluten, so. You didn't react to gluten at all. But that's probably why, just because I don't eat it. So how would I? That marker would not. If you don't. If you're on already gluten free. Yeah. You know, unless you had some hidden sources, you wouldn't have that. But it would have been interesting to do that, do this test like years ago when I first got sick, yeah. right? Yeah, oh, I'm sure. It was probably a hot mess. But um, so, yes, you are right. Some things you can do if you had breaches, and like the Zynolin was high, is, you know, if maybe cut back a little on exercise, stress practices, so really working on that. Um, you can take something like bone broth that's got a lot of glutamine in it, yeah. or you can take a supplement, yeah. which is going to give you more and it's going to be more consistent. Um, so that's kind of a simple thing to do. And then, um, you want to look at things, not in your case, but some people, what's their alcohol intake? Are they taking, uh, over the counter NSAIDs, you know, like Advil, are they pop? I mean, I see people all the time that are popping Advil. And maybe they've been on a course of antibiotics. Um, maybe they did have COVID. COVID does, you know, I mean, I would love to see some GI maps like post-COVID, like right afterwards. Um, I haven't had the chance to see that really. But, um, you know, some, some of these viral hits, you know, even other things besides that. Yeah, I'm sure immediately following being sick, there's going to be an imbalance. Yeah. You're going to be knocked off out of homeostasis for a little bit. And then you can take immunoglobulins like that come from like um, cow colostrum and things like that. Like IgG is an immunoglobulin that is really popular that you can take in cow a supplement. It's a, yeah, it's derived from that. Um, and you can take that in like a supplement form. Drinking and that works milk. really well. Yeah, the raw milk. Yeah. Well... Tell me about some of the things you're finding with uh, in, in, in terms of like potential cancer risks for some of your patients. Because I remember you telling me this could be something that could show whether or not you're going to – your risk of cancer essentially, especially with uh, um, the liver and how well you detoxify certain things. Yeah, so there's a couple important markers on there that I would say relate to cancer. One of them is it's testing for blood in the stool. And so I did have someone that came out really high on that. Wow. So, you know, that person is going to go get evaluated and get a colonoscopy and whatever other testing. Um, but for her, you know, she, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that, you know, you're not going to know that you have blood in your stool. You don't even see it. I'm sure. I mean, if it's, if you have a lot of blood in your stool, it'll change the color and yeah. your stool will be tarry and black, you know, like if you have a GI bleed or something, but, um, so that, that's an important one. And then the beta gluconidase um, is an enzyme that some of the harmful bacteria produce, and that can recirculate toxins back into the liver. And so that's been implicated with a higher risk for breast cancer and for colon cancer. So that is super important, and especially for women and for women as they enter menopause, because that's a huge time when you are letting go of a lot of, um, you know, your estrogen is dropping and you're going through these really dramatic changes. And so your body does tend to 
depend a lot more on the liver and on the adrenals. Um, so that's a, a really important marker. Um, and you, and you, you reckon that's, that's kind of who your, your target, uh, I guess. I feel like lately are. that's where I'm headed. It yeah. seems, seems like, like for, it. 40 and over, but I still do work with a lot of younger people. Um, it's just that I think when you get older, you start to realize that you're not indestructible and you might be a little bit more concerned. Well, and if you, if, I mean, if you didn't know any of these things and you didn't, you weren't proactive, you probably didn't treat your body the best. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now it's time to really hit it hard. Yeah. Or you're just worried about like you've seen your parents go through things yeah. and, you know, or maybe you have a sibling that's gone through something and you're like, oh man, I need to start paying attention. Yeah. So I think a lot of times in the thirties, mid thirties, people start really thinking that way. Yeah. I mean, you probably don't deal with a lot of young, am I the youngest person that's taken this test from you? So far. Yeah. But I do, I have worked with a lot of college kids. Nice. I'd be so, fascinated to see children. I know. And there are people that do it on children. And I had a client that was like super worried that her daughter was going to end up the same way that she, you know, she had a lot of digestive problems. And, you know, and I told her, we can always do a GI map on, on your daughter. And if that makes you feel better, you would know what was going on with her. Yeah. Do you, so when you see people with bad diets, it, where does it show the most in the good and bad bacteria? Yeah, like the commensals will be really wiped out because, okay. you know, sugar and all these chemicals and a lack of fiber, um, you know, it's, it's really hard on, the, on your beneficial bacteria. Commensal is good. Commensal is good. Um, and then you're going to see where it shows um, dysbiotic. Uh, I don't know where that is on here. Um, but some of the, not that, but there's, there's a section that's like the harmful bacteria. Mm -hmm. um, they will be really high because they're growing stronger. And, and it's like, it's kind of like if you think of the commensals, like kind of like the police and the fire department and the mayor's office and all that all in one, all your supportive things. And if there's not enough of them and there's more bad guys in the neighborhood, then there's going to be disorder and there's going to be a lot of destruction that goes on. Yeah. And some of the ways, if, you, if you're not even going to take the test, I mean, I think you should. If you, if you feel like there's anything going on, even if you don't think there's anything going on, I feel like this is a really awesome test to get really good insight on your own gut and your own body. But to increase your good bacteria, things like prebiotics, lots of vegetables, fiber, and then mm -hmm. including that with, we talk about this all the time, but fermented foods, like mm -hmm. a kefir or a sauerkraut. You know, ever since I've done this, I've, I'm always in the fermented foods, but I'm even eating more. Yeah. Trying to get like kimchi in with each meal. My raw milk, I love that. Yeah. So those are some ways to just increase your good bacteria. And it's like a lot of people that I work with, they might be trying to eat those things and they can't break them down. Yeah, okay. So if you have H. pylori, you're not, not really breaking, breaking down. them down. And so you're doing all these great things, but you're not getting anywhere. And some people feel worse. So that's where they really are so thankful to have that information and get on a, you know, then we can put them on like a protocol 
because um, I always have to look at like if they're on prescription drugs, there's certain things you can't do um, that would be contraindicated. So you're looking at that and you're putting them on a specific protocol to knock that H. pylori down. And at the same time, you know, like you said, do things that are helping with, you know, like you can do digestive bitters and it's just like a tincture that you can take with your meals. Hmm. Um, I really love kraut for stomach acid balance. That works really well. Sauerkraut? Um, yeah, but it, it doesn't work alone for someone who's got a really severe case, but they can get relief from it. Yeah. So there's lots of different things that you can do. Now that you've been doing this for, was it six months? So you've put people on protocols. Have you been able to retest them, their guts? No, no I haven't retested anyone yet. That is going to be super interesting. So Super some bad. people, because, you know, I mean, it's not a free test. I mean, it's, right. it's ex yeah. if they have relief and their symptoms are, are going away, then you don't necessarily have to retest. But I think if you have had problems for a long time, then I personally recommend you should have the test every year. And that's what a lot of, you know, the functional doctors and, and practitioners recommend um, because you want to keep things in order and you don't want it to just get back off track. Right. Um, you have to kind of look back in their life and see how they got there. And a lot of times you can, you're like, okay, you went through this, this and that, and then this started. So we try to like go back and make kind of like a, a roadmap to how they got to this point and what were the factors that led into it. Some of that stuff you can't help. You're not going to help a death or you're not going to help. You know, there's things in life that you can't avoid. Yeah. So it's like if it's something like that, then, you know, you know that maybe it's not going to reoccur. Um, you know, you don't have that happen every day, hopefully, you know. Yeah. One last thing on mine was the we talked about this for a second, but the gluten, highly reactive to gluten, which I was really shocked about. If I cut out gluten, um, is it something you think if somebody is reactive to gluten that they can come back to at some point? Some people, yes. I have definitely seen that, like before I was using this test. And I would have, like a lot of people that have IBS are going to be reacting to gluten just because it's a common trigger you know, the way that you break it down and the way that your body can, you know, respond to it. Um, and they would feel relief right away. And then we would wait like four months and we would reintroduce it. And a lot of them did fine with it. And they were like, okay, I can handle that. But I, you know, there are certain foods that they would try to reintroduce and they couldn't. And so they end up with this really small list of things that they couldn't tolerate. Yeah, and if you're not, like I'm not experiencing, when I eat gluten, I don't notice yeah. anything. Like, and I've done it since. I've tried to, to pinpoint. I don't, uh, there's nothing I can tell. So, like, yeah. when it comes to, this is, I thought it was just me, but men are different and they don't, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to experience, like, GI distress. It can come up in your mood. It can come up in your concentration. I mean, gluten can affect you in many different ways. 
not just GI wise. So that's where um, you see it recommended a lot for, you know, different uh, neurological conditions and things like that, because mm -hmm. it's, you know, even like MS and things like that. It's that powerful, huh? So it's that it can, it just can have a vast array of effects. And now they actually have an official diagnosis, like non-celiac gluten sensitivity. They made that official because they've seen and have been able to study the way that your immune system is actually being triggered. And you know, you know the gut has many different functions. Nerve the the connection with the nervous system. This throws everything I thought so, about myself. I know, and so like, and it's kind of funny, and we both chuckled when we saw that on yours because you were just kind of like a little skeptical. Oh, for sure. Because for me, it's it affects my mood, and I literally for two or three days will be so, like, my mood will just decline so rapidly. I, it changes my whole demeanor and like people notice it they're like whoa what's wrong with you i had a slice of bread left a couple days ago and it's like <laughs> it's not just like if i had like one slice of bread but like i went to visit a relative and so i ate things that i no don't normally eat and i and i and you know it was just in there and i'm not gonna i just didn't feel like telling the person like i need to stay away from that yeah. By the end of the trip, my mood was so bad. Like, I'm not mean or anything. I just get really sad. That's so crazy. And I just feel like the motivate. like, I can't, I can't function. Hmm. I can't, like, okay, you need to do these three things today, and it's, like, super hard for me to get through the day. Well, I'm going to, I mean, we're doing this challenge. You going you gonna to join us with this? What is it? So for the next twenty five, start. We're gonna we're gonna start Tuesday because I gotta make sure everyone has. Who's the list. we? Everybody at the gym that wants to do it. Oh. So you gotta do twelve thousand five hundred steps a day. No ultra processed foods, so nothing that comes from a package. I have a list of foods you can you can't eat. Okay. And I'm gonna do no gluten because I took the test, and I got the you I got the results back like a month ago, but I. I haven't cut it out fully yet. Okay. I just haven't. So I'm going to try it. And uh, maybe, maybe, it, maybe I'll notice something. Maybe it is my mood. I'm, I'm so up and I go. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. I have highs and lows, but it, it's nothing that it's like, I'm never depressed. I'm not like bipolar. I know, but it, it might regulate your mood. Maybe. For me, it did. Yeah. You know, and, and it started out where I had joint pain and all that stuff because of my autoimmune but just all the work I've done on my own gut. And that was the thing that was, you know, I was happy about with mine is I didn't have a lot of overgrowth or anything. I just, my good guys were wiped out. Yeah. But I didn't have like a lot of bad guys. So yeah. I was pretty happy about that. But So for your test, you found some things and then you've changed a lot. How, how do you feel now since you've changed everything? I'm final. Yeah, I totally feel the difference and that beta gluconeridase you know that we yeah. talked about that was high on mine and so I've done a lot of work on that um with supplement I had to use supplements because I was already doing everything dietarily that there was to do because I always felt like I had was being poisoned by toxins and I told you that 
So when I saw that on my test, I was so like, I was upset, but I was happy because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why I feel like crap. Um, so my newest thing that I've been doing in addition to like the supplement side of it is just the infrared sauna. And I've done three sessions and I already notice a difference. Like that really helps. You think it's just helping detoxify? Eliminate? Yeah. So, well, it's, yeah. And it's, it's Detox supporting protein. your lymphatic system. And if you, if your liver's already compromised and your GI tract is not carrying it out very well, it's an alternative way to help take off that toxic burden. So they have done studies and they've studied the urine metabolites of people that ha do infrared sauna treatments and they found more um, toxins in their urine. Okay. So it can really help with, um, with like even visceral fat, you know, to help like um, raise your metabolic rate. Mobilize. And mobilize fat. visceral fat. Yeah, I did a podcast. One of the first podcasts I did was on uh, sauna. I love the sauna. I don't know a ton about the infrared saunas. I use the regular dry sauna. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of the research that's been done when I did my research was on the dry sauna. Okay. Because there was a ton of Sweden studies that have done it. Like Yeah, like it's ran. been around forever. Yeah. The infrared, though, from my understanding, it doesn't get as hot. So the infrared uses a light and yeah. it penetrates the layers of the skin. So it can act on the cellular level. So it's totally different. And I think that's why it's good at like getting rid of those toxins. Um, and I'm going to do some more research on it. You don't think the dry sauna gets to that same? It's just, it works differently. Okay. So, you know, it, it will penetrate. And so it's really like raising your body temperature more at a cellular level, I guess, than what a dry sauna can do. So yeah. it just works differently. So yeah. it's it's not as hot. It It's about like 100, well, it's 140 degrees, I think is like, I think it can go a little bit hotter than that. But I think those dry saunas are hotter oh, than mine that. Oh, get, mine gets up to 190. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so roasting for, in there. Yeah, so for me, my husband built some really fancy saunas for these gentlemen that were from Europe and no, they weren't from Europe. They were from Russia. And so the, the Turkish and the Russians are, you know, really into the saunas and they have a long history. And so they, they built all these different saunas. Um, they had a Himalayan salt sauna. It was really cool. And you know, just they had different rooms and you could go into these different. I couldn't do it. It was like my body doesn't like that. What? But the, the infrared sun, I'm, yeah, you I just. You're going you're gonna to have Bruce like build you one? I don't know. Like if I ever got somewhere where I was going to stay there, I think it would be good to have in your house. That is the, I've always said this. I've, if I ever buy a house, that's going to be the first cool thing I do. Yeah. I want a sauna. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to use it, then good. But yeah. I have a client that built one, and he has literally never gone in it. The way the way you feel after you get out of like a twenty minute sauna session, it's you can't beat that feeling. It's like going for a long run. It's almost equivalent. Yeah. Because you your body goes through that stress of like, I mean you're at, you're putting your body through stress. You're in a hot environment, especially in those dry saunas where it's one hundred and ninety degrees. 
and you're breathing hard, your heart rate gets up there. You're, mm-hmm. It almost feels like you're exercising. Well, it's, it's supposed to be like the equivalent of it. Yeah. You know, like from what I read, some of the studies and like what it does to your metabolic rate, it's almost like has the same effect. Yeah, it's from what I've looked at, it's it's good if you can exercise, but exercise is going to be better. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to replace exercise. Yeah, yeah. you're definitely not going to burn the calories you're, you're going to burn through exercise. But it, it is good for cardiovascular health, for sure. Yes, and I also read that it helps with recovery after exercise yeah. and, like, helps, you know, eliminate some of the – is it the lactic acid buildup or whatever? Yeah. I'm not, like, an expert on that, so but – Some of the things, like, with recovery when it comes to working out, if your goal is to build muscle, immediately doing the sauna right after is probably not the greatest thing you can do mm. because we want that inflammation. And what's going to happen during the sauna is it's going to bring more inflammation, then it's going to flush it out. Okay. So the way your body's going to respond to that, it's going to help reduce inflammation. So we do want that inflammation. Uh, what if you do it like 24 hours after you? Yeah, you're fine. And honestly, like I'm saying this, but. If you can only do the sauna after you work out, still do the sauna. Like, it's th- it's the benefits are great with heat shock proteins. How how good it is for your brain, but when it comes to like optimal muscle growth, I just I saw some just like ice baths. Ice baths I definitely wouldn't do after you exercise because okay. that's going to totally reduce the inflammation. And unless you're an athlete of some sort and you want to be healthy for the next game or tomorrow or whatever it is. If your goal is to build muscle, don't take NSAIDs. Don't do ice baths. If you could do a sauna a couple hours after, probably a little bit better, but you know what I mean? The sauna is so great, I, I would just do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, yep, I think that's going to – it seems like it's really alleviating, you know, some of the symptoms that I was having. And so, I mean, it's just a good add-on. Yeah. One of the things you find on the test – that it tests for is uh, bacteria that's associated with your metabolism. Mm-hmm. And you d- obviously, as a dietitian, one of the goals for a lot of people is weight loss. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell me about how this could affect your weight loss if some of those bacteria are out of whack. Yeah, I mean, first of all, if you have an overgrowth of bacteria, the bad guys, then those bad guys have a substance inside, an endotoxin. It's called LPS, and that LPS can travel into your bloodstream, and that has been correlated with metabolic syndrome, you know, weight loss resistance, um, neurological problems, and even autoimmune problems. So if that's one thing that a really important reason, um, we know that people that have metabolic syndrome have a lot more of that LPS floating through their system, and so every time they eat, they're releasing more LPS into their blood. And so the food they eat, they're actually absorbing more calories from it because, yeah, there's, they really do. And um, really? there's certain two, two bacteria, uh, they're called phyla, and those are the main, like kind of like your godfather bacteria. And if those are disproportionate, that has been strongly associated with metabolic syndrome have you seen this quite a bit no i haven't seen anyone with that yet 
Okay. But That's I've good. seen That's reassuring. Yeah, but I have seen people with um a lot of like really low commensals or good guys and you know and the high uh bad guys so to speak um and so by correcting that i've seen people start to lose weight um once they get a better balance and they're they don't have you know you think about if your gut is is leaky you have systemic inflammation all the time every time you eat and so you know it really does a lot of damage to your body yeah, and especially in, in my world, in the fitness world, where most people, like trainers, they're not as well-versed in nutrition. So it's calories in, calories out. Mm-hmm. They, they don't put this stuff into consideration. Nobody does. I yeah. mean, like I know so many people that come to me that have been to their doctor and they've asked, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm not getting anywhere. Well, you're just not doing it right, they tell them. You know, and then when they... When they get their test results, they're so happy. And this and other tests that I do, because they're finding the real answer for the first time in their life, you know, for things that they struggled with. That's, yeah, and it, it's really hard for me with clients because I've, you know, I've said this before, but a lot of clients being dishonest about certain things that mm-hmm. they eat and don't eat. So it's like, are you, not, are you just not adhering to me or is there a real problem? I think most likely it's probably not adhering, but in the in the case that there is a real problem, this is something that could 100% find that. You can get to the bottom of that with this test. But I will say, if you look at it from another angle, which I see all the time, they can't adhere because they have chronic inflammation and it's driving their cravings and it's driving their binging mm-hmm. and they don't know why. And so they think, oh, I just need to, you know, be more, you know, and they they can't understand why they can't overcome these things. So I think really, I tell people this all the time, there is a root reason for the reason that you're doing this. Now we do learn things, we learn things, but most people, they want something bad enough, they'll try to move away from it. If they can't get there, you really have to look at a lot of different factors. Right. And it, like it, when it comes to weight loss, especially with somebody who is has a ton of inflammation, does have the cravings, it is hard. Yes. Like it's much harder for them to say no to those things than me. Yes. Or you. It's like it's I, – I understand that. And it does it, – it does take a little bit of white knuckling at first. Yeah. Like and you do have to because cravings you can ignore. I mean it's freaking hard. I get it. But, you know, there is something – you can do about that. Yeah. I will I'll just say like when my autoimmune stuff flares up, like I have this horrible feeling that like you can't fill it and it doesn't even matter if you eat or don't eat, but it's a very bad feeling and I can imagine that some people feel like that all the time. What is and what it, do you like what do you mean you can't? You just feel like you know how you feel when you haven't eaten in a really long time yeah. and you just feel so depleted and you're just like really exhausted and you're like, oh gosh, if I just eat a meal, I'm going to feel so much better. And then normally you would, right? Like, but for people, when, when I experience that, it doesn't matter what you do. You still have this horrible feeling of complete depletion and yet you're, you're looking for something to fix it. And there, there's nothing to fix it. So, 
I understand, I think that helps me understand people that really struggle like that. Yeah, especially if you've gone through it. Yeah. Like, that's important. Yeah. And I like, for me, it's like, I, it doesn't make me eat more, but I, I have tried to like eat different things thinking that would fix it. And it just, it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't fix it. Yeah, it's like after, well, it's like after eating, you know, after a long weekend of. It's kind of like when you have a hangover. I think that yes. would be a good example for you <laughs> of how that feels. Oh, what you feel. Right? Like, like yeah. how I feel, you know, it's like, you know how when you're just looking for that drink or that beverage to kind of correct that bad feeling? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I you know, know you when mean. you have like a really bad hangover. Yeah, you're look, like when I would be hungover, if I didn't, dis if I didn't drink again, <laughs> I would like look for like hangover cures. Yes. All the time. Yes. But nothing would ever fix it. Yeah. You know, I would be like, all right, I'm eating a ton of vegetables. I'm going to do this. It's just waiting it out. But obviously that's a different, that's yeah. totally different. Yeah. But... Awesome. Well, thank you for thank you for getting me this test and letting me uh, letting me do this. This is super cool, and I think I think everybody should do this. So do I. I've been really trying to push it on my clients. I think I have a couple that I'm gonna get them hooked up with you. I want my mom to do it. I want my family to do it because I think what you could find could be life changing. I you know, I agree you can, with you. Can you change the way that you eat mm -hmm. if you want to. You know, like. I think it gives you something quantitative to look at, and then it's an eye-opener, and it does motivate change, I think, in some people in a way that they can understand what's actually going on in their body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if anybody wants to get this test and you're listening to it, contact me or Angie. I'd go right to the source, to Angie. Uh, she's amazing. She'll get the test done, and then she'll explain to you everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Health on 10 podcast, and we'll be back more frequently this upcoming year in 2023. We got some fun stuff to talk about. Awesome. Awesome.